This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 379. If you look at the data, you can see that the price of new listings, so what landlords are putting their new listings on, are about 3 or 4% lower than what they were a couple of months ago. So that's why I think rents might decline in the very short term, just because people are probably desperate to fill vacancies right now. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here today with another episode with my friend. My mentor, my pal, my surf buddy, David Green. What's up, David Green? How you doing? Nicely done, Brandon. We just spent an entire hour making fun of you and you turned it around and said <laughs> stuff. And in doing so, poured burning coals on the top of my head. Very That's well. That's what played. I was aiming for. That's what I was aiming for. I want you to feel bad about how much you made fun of me on today's episode. We just got done recording today's episode and, uh, you know, uh, I may have gotten made fun of, especially at the end. So it was all the for the benefit of the listeners. That mm, is for I'm you sure, guys. I'm I just sure want it was. you all to know that. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. <laughs> all right. Well, today's episode, here's the deal, guys. I mentioned this in the show, but I'll say it again now. There's a lot of fear in the market right now. There's a lot of emotions riding high. And so we thought it would be a cool idea to bring in some data into the conversation. Like what actually is happening right now and how can you find out, how can you use data to make better, more informed decisions? And I know that sounds kind of boring, but trust me, we keep it light, we keep it fun. And we we talk with one of the, I guess, the former co-hosts who's been a co-host several times here on the Bigger Pockets podcast, Mr. Dave Meyer. We'll bring him in in just a moment. Uh, Dave Meyer, back when Josh uh, originally kind of vacated the Bigger Pockets podcast, uh, when his daughter got sick, we had David uh, graciously stepped in back then and hosted a number of episodes with me. Uh, and we brought him back now because Dave is actually a data scientist. That's his like actual like thing. Like he went to school for it and he knows data better than anybody I've ever met. And so we talk a lot about the real estate market, what's happening, what's going on right now, including uh, some information that uh, we're publishing in our new magazine, Bigger Pockets Wealth Magazine. So if you're not uh, subscribed to that, it's actually a physical magazine. You can have it in your house. It's beautiful. Uh, and it's got a lot of good data. So anyway, we talk about that a little bit in today's show uh, and a lot more, just really, really good, solid stuff and a lot of what's going on in, in, in the market today. I mean, this is a very current episode and we're talking about what's going on with real estate and COVID and all that stuff. So with all that said, passive income without the property headache, it's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. 
here. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners' capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Now it's time for today's Tip. Today's quick tip. I just mentioned it. I'm going to say it again now. Bigger Pockets Wealth Magazine is an actual magazine shipped to your house six times a year. And it's like not very much at all. It's like under 30 bucks, I think. So you can get it by going to biggerpockets.com slash magazine. Use code magazine for 20% off. So it's even cheaper. So definitely check that out. And that is today's quick tip. All right. Well, I think that's all I got. So shall we get to uh, today's discussion? Yeah. Let's jump into it and talk some real estate. All right. Let's get started with the discussion with Mr. Dave Meyer. Mr. Dave Meyer, welcome back to the Bigger Pockets podcast. It's been a while. How you doing, man? Good, good. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, you are actually right now not in Denver where you were for the last few times you've been on the podcast. You are not even in America right now. Tell us where you are in the world. That is correct. I am in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, which is where I live right now. Uh, so I think we're probably as close to a opposite ends of the world as you could possibly be. I think that's true. That's, uh, that's a long, why are, why are you there? So my fiance, her, the company that she works for was acquired by a company that's based out of the Netherlands. So she got transferred over here for a while and we just got out here in December. So just in time to get locked down, uh, which is <laughs> <laughs> a little bit anticlimactic, but we're excited to be here. Yeah, cool. And you're still, you know, Dave is still what is a is a VP of Ana, growth and analytics, right? At Bigger Pockets. That's correct. Yeah. So I'm still doing the same thing for Bigger Pockets. Still working on all sorts of different new projects, new products, and very grateful to still be part of the team. So Dave here again, working, running a lot of stuff at Bigger Pockets. For those who don't know, like pretty much Dave like runs a ton of stuff at BP. I mean, Dave is responsible for like almost every cool thing that comes out of BP. Dave is somehow responsible for it, which is interesting. The fact that you're doing that well, now thanks. from Europe, which is, yeah, I mean, you, you, you're a rock star. But what's also cool is that you also still invest in real estate and you own some properties. If people want to listen to your episode, do you remember what you episode you were the guest on? I think it's on? 186. All right. 186, one, I think. 186. All right. So go listen to that episode if you want to know more. But since, uh, you know, besides that, I'm, I'm wanted to spend some time today going through some of the work you've been doing on data because you are a, what do they call it, a data scientist? Is that the official name? 
which is a, cool it's a very fancy name, but yes. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot of, uh, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit in the intro today, but there's a lot of fear and anxiety in the market today. Uh, a lot of people freaking out and a lot of emotional decisions being made and a lot of Facebook decisions being made, meaning like you make your decisions based on how your Facebook friends are feeling. And that's obviously dangerous. So that's why we wanted to bring you on to talk data a little bit today on what actually is going on in the world right now. What's actually happening uh, before we get there, though, I do want to know a little bit more about you personally on what you've been up to since the last time you were on the show. And I know you bought something cool. Can we, uh, can we talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So I was blast on in 2016. And so to be honest, I haven't been all that active. As you said, you know, I'm pretty preoccupied with my job at Bigger Pockets and maybe different than some of the people who come on the show regularly. I want to keep working full time. I like yeah. that. And I use real estate <laughs> investing as something I'll fall back on in the future and something I do sort of out of convenience and as is convenient for my current lifestyle. So I have bought a couple of single families since then, but I actually sold the first property that I ever invested in. I bought in 2010 and I sold that in 2018 and did really well on that and had a bunch of cash to spend and I wanted to do a 1031 exchange. And so I was looking at a bunch of deals in Denver, which is where I primarily do my investing. And a couple of them fell through it pretty much the last minute. So I was at my 45 day limit. And for a couple of months or even years actually leading up to that, I had always had this dream of buying an Airbnb in the mountains so I could go use it and ski, but also make some money off of it. And literally on the 44th, at the 45th day, I called my real estate agent and said, we're driving up, we're gonna go find a property. I think he booked every single a showing at every single property that's on sale in the whole county, which is not that many. <laughs> and we went and saw every single one and put in an offer and they luckily accepted it in time for our deadline and closed like a couple weeks later. That's awesome. So you're, you bought a, what is it like a house? Is that like a, uh, do you call it a chalet? Is that a, is that a fancy term for a house? <laughs> Like yeah, it is kind of a chalet now that you say it. But so I, again, going back to the data thing, I was really meticulous about this for years. So it's kind of, you know, it seemed like this spur of the moment, impromptu decision, but I had been doing research about this market for a really long time and had bought some data from a company called AirDNA. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, yeah. but they have all this short-term rental data. And I did some math and just figured out that anything that had four or five bedrooms or above had an outsized ROI. You just get a much better return on the cash you have to invest. And there's also just much less competition. You see tons of one and two bedroom places, especially in ski areas, vacation homes. But if you can find a place that's four or five bedrooms, you get much, much longer bookings, which leads to less wear and tear and just really high occupancy rates. And luckily I found a three bedroom, but it just had a, just a silly amount of living space. So I made two extra bedrooms and one of them was a bunk room. So I added, I think capacity for 10 more people to sleep in. Whoa. So it's definitely getting destroyed on a weekly basis because people are having bachelor parties and all sorts <laughs> of uh, parties there. But up until recently with the you know, recent economic conditions, it had been doing really, really well. And do you get the side benefit of being able to enjoy it a couple of days a year as well? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the the I always love that idea of buying a vacation rental somewhere cool that you want to go on vacation anyway, relatively often. 
and then you buy it there, let the Airbnb pay it off. Now, obviously, right now with Airbnb pretty much shut down worldwide, you're not getting any income. So what's it like right now with, with that side of your business? It's pretty tough. Uh, we've basically had a lot of cancellations over the next two months. Luckily, that's coming during a time that in Colorado is known as the mud season, which is basically when all the snow melts and before it's fun to do anything outside again. So it's not a really high revenue season, but we're rapidly approaching that. June, July, August, there's a lot of weddings. And so that's when I would normally be expecting to generate a, a healthy chunk of our revenue for the year. Luckily, those haven't canceled yet, but you know the way things are trending, I'm not, I'm not holding my breath. But luckily, you know, I, I bought this because I have enough longer-term rentals and a stable income stream from those long-term rentals in Denver that I knew this is a volatile business. And I knew going into it, something like this could happen. Not this exact situation, of course, but I, I prepared myself so that if I didn't had a long stretch of vacancy, that I would be okay. So luckily, I'm in a, a decent position. Yeah, that's cool. So Dave, when you were looking for a property to buy, did your agent play a very big role in helping you decide what kind of property to get and maybe which specific property to buy? Or did you do most of that yourself and you just kind of directed your agent what you wanted done? So uh, my agent is a good friend of mine and he's mostly familiar with Denver, but we have a good working relationship and I trust him to handle a lot of the negotiations. So I had done a lot of the research. Uh, I had talked to a couple people in the area and then he did a great job helping me do all the inspections. There's a lot of different things investing in, in rural communities that I really didn't know about, like water rights and mineral rights. So he picked that all up really quickly. But I did most of the financial analysis because, as Brandon said, I'm just a nerd and I like to do that myself. So I guess I'm asking because for people that are listening and they say, hey, I want to do what Dave does, there's a lot of Un lack of clarity with what role the agent should play versus the person. And it's so hard to answer like what should happen because every agent has a different skill set and different expectations and the same for the client. Can you share a little bit of with the houses you bought, how you use the agent and what you found out for you work the best? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's the investor's responsibility to set a budget and a strategy. And I think with most investing, you sort of need to have a hypothesis about what you think is going to happen. You know, I think this market is going to appreciate, or one I have in Denver is I think that single family homes are going to appreciate because everything's getting converted into condos, but people still like to have a yard and like to be close to downtown Denver. So I usually share that sort of hypothesis with my agent and say, you know, I want to look for single family homes within two miles of downtown Denver, and this is my price range. And from there, that's usually where he really can take off and do some investigation into the, some of the best potential areas that I have around there. Uh, he's done a really great job for me looking at places that have good zoning opportunities in case I ever want to revamp them or add an additional dwelling unit, which is something I've been looking into. So I, I do think you're right in that a lot of people who are first getting into it assume that the agent is going to sort of set the strategy for them, which maybe some agents can do, but I think it's better in your long-term interest as an investor to learn how to formulate your own opinion and your own strategy about investing and then use your agent as a partner to help facilitate your own vision for your portfolio. 
And for you, what that looked like was having your agent work on minutiae and details that you wouldn't know, like zoning regulations and, and maybe some ins and outs of specific neighborhoods, as opposed to the overall wealth building strategy you put in place. Absolutely. Yeah. He did a great job. Like I've bought a couple single family homes in an area where there's this big public works project going on in Denver that's going to add a tremendous amount of value to the neighborhood that I didn't really know about. But he goes to all of these neighborhood meetings and association meetings, and he knew that all of these businesses were going to be investing in the neighborhood that I was considering. And that sort of put it over the top for me, all these other neighborhoods being similar in terms of price point. But he did a ton of research and taught me a lot about the, a couple specific neighborhoods that I wound up investing in. And that's something I frankly just don't have the time or skill set for. But since he, as an agent, is always trying to find a way to give his, his clients a leg up, goes to these meetings and learns something that they can't really learn on their own. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, I like that you say that the investor's job is to come with a strategy because I feel like a lot of investors go and rely on their agent to tell them what makes a good investment. Like, well, I want to buy a rental property. What makes a good deal here? And the sad truth is, as David, you know, for sure, like David Green here, you know, because you're an agent, you work with these people. Most agents have no idea what a good deal is. Like a good deal to them is a cute kitchen or a nice front porch, <laughs> right? And so like, if you're relying on your agent, yeah, there are rare agents out there. For example, a buddy of mine named Darren Stagger, he lives out in, in Jersey. He is an agent who specializes really in helping people buy like duplexes and triplexes in that exact market. The reason he's good at that is because that's actually what he does. I think he was on episode 48 of the podcast back in the day. But like, you know, that's a case where you might say, okay, agent, I need, I'm going to rely a little bit more on your expertise. Or David Green, you there. And if you're in the Bay Area, I might rely on David to help me with the house hacking idea. Because David, again, you do it and you know it really well. But those are rare. Like that's a rare thing. And so like, again, so many people are waiting for someone else to do their pushups for them and to tell them what to do and make them feel all comfy and secure and give them a hug. But like, that's our job as an investor is to go out there and do our own work, which is why the data comes in so handy and why this show is so important is like, you know, listeners, it's time to get like, you know, get your head out of Facebook and the, the news and let's find out what's really going on in the real estate market today. So that's what I want to go to next. Unless you've got anything else uh, green you want to cover before we go on or. Oh, I thought online. that was, that was really well said. Well, thank you. Dave Meyer, what are you seeing? What does the data show where real estate is at and where it's headed here in America? So that, that's there's a lot to this question. So I'll just start with, I think, a summary of what I'm seeing, and we can dive into anything that you guys are really interested in here. I think it, it is too early to see any decline in home prices. So that is a benefit right now that we're not really seeing a big decline, but the volume of transaction does seem to be going down. Recently, Fannie Mae and a couple of the mortgage associations have reported that applications for new mortgages are actually going down by about a third year over year. So that is a bit concerning, obviously, because if demand decreases, that is a sign that prices are likely to go down. I also do think that there is the possibility that supply is going to increase because when you see that these un unemployment numbers where they are right now, if those stay high for any extended period of time, you're probably going to see people being foreclosed on, unfortunately. And you're also going to see people who choose to downsize or to get some 
liquidity by selling their home. So that combination of a potential for increased supply and dropping demand is a bit concerning to me, but luckily so far, we haven't seen that. The second thing I'll say is that at Bigger Pockets, we have licensed a good amount of data for a new product that we're working on, and we are pulling rents in real time. And the interesting thing to see there is that the average asking price for rent has not actually declined much at all. It's, it's only gone down a few percentage points, but new listings are down almost 10, 12%. So we're seeing that landlords are adjusting their expectations for what rents might be in the future, even though the current listings that are out there have not dropped that much. So if you look at that and extrapolate that out sort of to a cap rate, you might think that prices are going to fall if rents are going to fall as well. If you had to make a gamble right now, and I know like this is going to sound stupid in the future if you're wrong. So, you know, it's not like this is a forever podcast that's up there, yeah. but <laughs> what what are what do you think prices are going to do based on that stuff? And I, I, a lot of this depends on when the social distancing ends, right? If it ends tomorrow, it's very different totally. than it ends six months from now. But what would be your best guess or your your bet on what this is going to do to the real estate market? Absolutely, and I th- appreciate the caveat. I am not an economist, <laughs> but I, I am a real estate investor, and I look at a lot of data. But I would guess that there's going to be a temporary decline in housing prices over the summer but that it won't be very significant and it won't be very long lasting. I don't think that there is a fundamental weakness in the housing market like we saw in 2008. You know, this crisis is obviously not brought on by cheap loans and cheap money propping up housing prices. This is a black swan event, as they call it, something no one has ever could ever really predict coming. But I do think the whole key to everything is really how quickly rehiring takes place in the U.S. If I, I put out an article a couple of weeks ago in BP Insights that shows that, you know, April rent was going to be challenging because a lot of people had lost their jobs, but yet weren't yet receiving government assistance. And I think for the next couple of months, it probably will stabilize a little bit as people are getting some government assistance and they do have, hopefully have some savings. But I think that if rehiring doesn't take place until July, August, September, we're in for much more economic pain because the current government assistance program is going to expire and people are going to be in much more perilous financial situations. Green, what do you think on that? Like, where do you think we're headed? Oh, okay. I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> and I'm like the only one who has this opinion. That's why I hesitate to say it. Because the more I listen, I'm always just standing alone. But I do think about this all the time because as an agent, you're a fiduciary to your clients. So, and just as a human being, I would never want to tell one of my buyers, you should buy a house right now if I thought prices were going to drop. So I'm always thinking about this just so I have a clear conscience. I think first off, it's market by market. So if you live in an area, and I can't name a specific one, but let's say where like everybody that lives there, they all work at a warehouse where they assemble widgets and that warehouse is shut down and now there's less demand for those widgets because there's something that are used on say an airplane and people are going to be flying less because now coronavirus is a scare or everyone in your, in your city works at an airline. Maybe you're going to see exactly what Dave just described. There's going to be a drop in prices because there's a drop in demand. If you're in an area like mine, the Bay Area, where it's mostly tech-driven or hospital healthcare, 
like we're not, we're seeing a slowdown, but it's still not nearly enough to stop. Like prices can't go down because people are buying houses too fast. They're just not getting 10 offers. They're getting three, but you're never going to see dropping home prices with three. So what I've realized after thinking about this is there is a single metric that determines when prices drop. There's only one. And that's how long a house sits on the market. If I go to a seller and I say, hey, your neighbor sold their house for 600,000, which may sound expensive, but over here, that's not at all. We need to list yours for 500 or 480 because of COVID-19. They're going to say, yeah, no, we're going to list at 610 and then we're going to see. That's what every seller is going to say. And a week, two weeks, three weeks in, they're not going to drop it to 580 because it's been, or 500 because it's been three weeks. What happens is after a significant period of time, two months, three months, four months, five months, their house is not selling, that emotionally beats them down. And then they finally accept, okay, I have to drop my price. And a good agent will get them to drop it to right where they should be. A not so good agent will go through this like staircase declining where you just chase the market down before you get there. But that's what makes the seller decide to list their house for less. It's one thing. It's how long is it on the market before they finally agree to drop their price. They don't care what Fox News or CNN tells them is going to happen to the housing market. They see that their neighbor's house just sold in 25 days for 600 So that's what they're going to do. And what I would have to see is that unemployment lasted or this shutdown lasted for three to four months for sellers to actually realize no one's buying houses before they are going to drop their price. And my gut tells me it's not going to go that long. We're going to open up before we get to the point where a seller's like, okay, like siege warfare, I got to leave the castle. They're parked, they're not parked, but they're camped around my castle. We ran out of food. We have to give up. But you don't just give up the minute that the army gets there. It's not until you start to get hungry and you've eaten all the food that you have. So <laughs> and what, all the what children. Believe, what's that? <laughs> and eating all the children. <laughs> and the children. Well... <laughs> That's very dark, Brandon. I don't, I don't even know what to say about that. Brandon is the guy that likes that song, I'd Rather Eat Randy. If you guys want to see a, a completely ridiculous video, YouTube, I'd Rather Eat Randy, and that's my best that's friend. That's the best video ever. Right the there. Best video. But yeah, I know that was kind of long, but I don't expect to see dropping prices in any market where people go back to work before you go three, four, five months of a house not selling. That's what we saw in 08. Prices kept dropping because no one was buying houses. They just sat there forever because there was just way too much supply. I think you're right. And I hope you're right as well. I, I think it really depends on the length of time that we're seeing uh, a shutdown in the economics because people are obviously just frozen right now. But as soon as people see their paychecks start coming in and have a relative sense that it's going to continue for the next couple of months, I'm sure that economic activity is going to pick up. And your point about the markets is, is spot on. It's really going to behave very, very differently. I was doing some analysis today and you mentioned San Francisco and I'm looking at my data right now. Prices for, for rent, at least in San Francisco over the last quarter went up 1%. You know, well, so obviously San Francisco is insulated in some way against this. Whereas, you know, you see cities like New York, which are obviously really hard hit, rent prices have actually dropped 5% over, over the last quarter. So we are going to definitely see large variations depending on the you know some of the economic drivers in every single market and you know obviously you just have to really pay close attention to what's happening where you're investing yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense which is why it's important to be able to get access to you know look at this kind of data figure out what markets are doing better which ones are doing worse what's your market looking like and a lot of people who are long distance investors like green here 
Like it's really important to be able to pick a market using data, which is partially why we came up with this whole BP insights thing. Uh, and also why we are talking a lot about it in bigger pockets, wealth magazine, two things that were, uh, were that I know you've been heavily involved in Dave. Do you mind before we go on to the, I do want to talk about some of the best cash flow markets. I've got that on my list here to make sure we cover your list of 11 best cash flow markets. But before we get there, what is BP insights compared to the magazine? How do they relate? What, what exactly is that? Sure, absolutely. So BP Insights is something we've been working on for a couple of months now. And basically the idea is to help investors of any size and any strategy get the data to crunch their own numbers and to really invest with confidence, just know what's been going on in their market historically, what's likely to happen in the future. And this is actually something we weren't going to launch until later in 2020. But with everything that was going on with coronavirus and the rapidly changing economic dynamics, we decided to just launch it. So right now it's a newsletter that goes just to pro and premium members, but it gives all sorts of data about what's happening in your individual market. You can download spreadsheets that shows what rent and inventory is going on for every city, town in the country. And we're going to be adding all sorts of different tools onto that in the near future where you can get rent estimates and all sorts of cool things on biggerpockets.com uh, that will be coming out over the course of the year. So if you're a pro or premium member, you should definitely go check that out. Uh, we also will be putting some of that data in the magazine. So that's sort of how they're tied together. We will be putting bigger studies in the magazine. And uh, the first one that's launching in a couple of weeks here, as you said, I did a a study on some of the top 11 markets for cash flow, which seems particularly relevant right now, given the economic climate that we're in. Can we, can we talk about that then for a little bit about the, the best cash flow markets? Because a lot, it's one of the biggest questions I get when I do webinars every week, when we talk about real estate investing, people always ask, how do I know what market to pick? Uh, so how did you decide on what the 11 are? And maybe you can give us a couple of examples of a few of them, but how, yeah, how do you yeah. determine what a good cash flow market is? Yeah, absolutely. So I used something that I call a vacancy adjusted uh, metric. So basically, I am looking to, I, the first thing I do is I discount the average rent by the vacancy rate. So there are some places that get fabulously high rents, but they have huge vacancy rates, and that's often overlooked. So basically, what I did is, is I adjusted all of the rents by their vacancy rate, and then I use a, a rent to price ratio, which is something that I think, you know, we talk about on bigger pockets all the time. And it's a really helpful thing. It's very similar to a cap rate, but all you have to do is divide your annual rent by price. So basically what you want to do is just figure out what portion of your purchase price is covered by your rent each year. Uh, it's, it's pretty simple and it works really well. Obviously, if you're honing in on a market, you're going to want to use a cap rate. You're going to want to figure out expenses and some of those taxes and property insurance. But when you're comparing across markets, it's really difficult to sort of zero in on all those things at this really high level. So I think using just the, the rent to price ratio is, is really helpful to start. And then uh, you, you zoom in. So that is how I went about looking at these top 11 markets. So just to clarify real quick with an example. So you're basically saying, hey, it rents for $1,000 a month. The purchase price is $100,000. So it's kind of like 1% rule, 2% rule kind of stuff. That, that's what you're saying, right? Exactly, yeah. So yeah. compared to uh, in this rents for $1,000 a month and it costs 500 grand, 
that's a very different, like the one that costs 500 grand and only rents for a thousand is going to be a much worse cash flow deal likely than the one that rents for a hundred thousand and is a thousand dollars a month. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I basically, it's the same exact thing as the 1% rule. I just use an annualized version. So I multiply yeah. the monthly rent by 12, but that's about it. And like you said, yeah, I mean, it, it is super helpful for just identifying different markets. Of course, this is averages on, you know, for an entire city. So there's going to be huge differences. But if you're really just starting out and trying to say, I am interested in these five markets, it's a very helpful tool. And then once you identify, you know, a couple of places that you're interested, that's when you should start drilling into individual neighborhoods, going block by block to try and figure out as much as you can about the, the micro neighborhood that you're intending to invest in. So uh, what I love about what you're saying is Dave and I have never talked, but this is exactly what I talk about in long distance investing. When I, just- I was just going to say, I was, I was rereading long distance investing this last week, couple of days ago. Cause I'm yeah. Anyway. And I, I saw that and I was going to ask you about that. Cause Dave. you're having anyway. trouble going to sleep. Is that why, what you're about to say? No, because <laughs> I'm working on a new book for BPM, specking out the, uh, the table of contents. Stuff, oh, so but, you're going to uh, take the best stuff. So I, was just, I, I wanted to see what you, I want to make sure I didn't just copy what you did. Cause we have similar minds. Anyway, keep going. Uh, from the quote copier, this is really, really good. <laughs> how his mind works now. <laughs> it's not quote copier. I quoted myself. That you, you, you I didn't even quote else. myself. You <laughs> thought I quoted myself. And that's how this whole thing started. Anyway, David uh, our, Green. Anyway. Exhibit A, folks. Saying. This is how you catch somebody in the act. Okay. Here's what, <laughs> <laughs> here's what I wanted to say. What Dave's describing is taking a general rule as a preliminary screening method and then chunking down from there. What you don't do is say, oh, here's a metric I can use. I'm going to pick a house based off of what Dave just said. So what I talk about in long distance investing is you want to find a target rich environment. You want to find an area that is very likely to have the kind of properties you're looking for. If I'm looking for houses to flip, I want to find a market that has a very big discrepancy in price. That's why the market I live in now is so good because you can buy a house for 500 grand that looks like trash and a block away, there's a house for 900 grand. So the rehab you're doing can add a lot of value to the property. I also want to find a very low day on market metric. Houses turn really, really quick. It's almost the opposite when I'm looking for rental properties. I don't want low days on market. There's too much competition. They're going to bid the price too high. I want a market with less people trying to buy there. And I want a market with a very strong price to rent ratio, meaning that the rents are very high for the in comparison to the price, which is what Dave was describing. You would not buy a property because it met just that metric, but that helps you pick a, a very overall general area. I'm going to look in this city or I'm going to look in this spot. Then you chunk it down another little bit. I want this kind of property. So Dave mentioned if it was Airbnb, he uses his his metric to pick the right area. Then he says, now I know that if I get a house with more than five bedrooms, my ROI goes up. There's a sweet spot. So that's where I chunk it down the next level. I'm going to look for houses that have a lot of square footage and a lot of bedrooms. Even if they only have three bedrooms, but they're 2,800 square feet, I can add bedrooms to that. I can make it the house I want. Then he brings in his agent. And he says, agent, here are my criteria. That's three steps that anyone can do to make progress buying a property. It, it's simple when you understand it and you're using the data like what Dave's describing, but don't try to shortcut it and say, oh, it has the right, what was the, me- what was the name of the metric that you used, Dave? What'd you call it? I call it just a rent to price. A, a rent to ratio. Price. And it was basically a vacancy adjusted uh, yeah. operate kind of, right? Like this is how much yeah, money exactly. you get when you adjust for it. That's what, don't just say it meets that metrics buying this house. That's just a step. So that, that's all I wanted to comment on. This is very similar to how I found all the properties that I have now. 
and you made it work for you based on the data that you had. That's awesome. Uh, absolutely. And if you, you know, if you're using averages, like if I pick one of the top markets here, let me find one here. St. Petersburg, Florida, 9%. Pretty good. It's one of the top. People say, oh, I'm going to invest in St. Petersburg, Florida, that, that metric. That's not the right mindset. By rule, because it's an average, that means that there are properties that are much below 9%, and there are also properties a lot above 9%. So it's your job as the investor and working with your agent to find the ones that are above that average. It's just meant to be a benchmark. So this is, you know, that 9% is achievable. But, you know, I, I don't know about you guys. I certainly want to find a deal that's above average. So I yeah. know to target a deal that I can find that's at 11 or 12%. And when I, that way, when I run my numbers and I find one that's 11 or 12%, I'm ready to pull the trigger because I know that is in one of the top markets and it's above average even in one of those top markets. It's a funnel, like Brandon likes to say. Funnels <laughs> funnel. <are> wide. <laughs> it all comes back to funnels. It always is <laughs> a funnel, right? They start yeah, wide and they become narrow. And what we're talking about is where you use tools within that funnel. So the agent piece comes in near the very bottom of it when you're almost at the bottom. This metric Dave's talking about would come in at the top. You know, I, yeah. I love what you're saying. If you're a single dude, you don't ask to find a girlfriend. That would be a, it's not a target rich environment. Okay. It's the same thing with, with real estate. If you're trying to find a rental property, you don't come to the San Francisco Bay Area and try and try to find a house that has a really good uh, rent to price ratio. Like they don't exist. People are buying them to live in, not to be rented. Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely. And one of the good things is when you're at the top of the funnel, the wide part, it's very easy. Like the, the math that we're talking about to calculate the 1% rule or even to do what I did here takes a couple of seconds. You know, it's really not very hard. So you can do a lot, really cast a wide net at first when you're getting that, that wide part of the funnel. And then sure, when it gets harder at the end, that's when you have help from an agent. So it's not really this really time consuming process at every step of the funnel. At first, it's really easy and it gets a little bit harder as it goes down. But that's, it should. You should be doing more due diligence and working harder as you become come closer to actually transacting. Yeah, that's really good. And hey, just to kind of summarize something that you guys just said, it's actually written in. I'm looking at an actual, uh, well, digital copy right now. But we, uh, by the way, this magazine that we're coming out with, by the way, is a physical magazine shipped to your house. But I'm looking at the digital version here, and it says. The, the end of this little segment on BP Insights inside the magazine said, remember, comparing markets is meant to help guide your investing. This analysis does not mean that every deal in these cities will provide strong returns, nor does this analysis imply that other markets will fare poorly in a recession. Our goal with BP Insights is to provide you with knowledge about the math behind real estate investing while giving you access to unique data sets. Our hope is that you'll use this information to focus your investing and that you'll use what you've learned here to conduct your own analysis. I love that that's put that way. It's like, it's just to summarize, like this isn't to, like David uh, Green's point. It's not just like, okay, it passes this thing. It's passed the 1% rule. You know, it passes the 50% rule. Like this is just one piece of the data, but this makes it so cool. Of, like, okay, well, great. Now we can focus in. I'm going to pick this market. And I would bet of all top 10 markets, I mean, we got things like Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Arlington, Virginia, Memphis, Kansas City, Missouri, like all of those markets, I can guarantee you there are a bunch of investors there, probably thousands that are making money off cash flow and rentals there. So like, if you're new, just looking to invest out of state, that would not be a bad place to start. Doesn't mean other markets don't work, but I just pick one of those and go with it and become an expert at that market. And now you can understand a little bit more about this data set. Uh, so again, that's just another benefit of, uh, of digging into this BP Insights thing and getting, of course, the Bigger Pockets Wealth magazine. So uh, just real quick on BP Wealth, and then we're going to move on 
Uh, if you want a copy of that actual magazine, like we're coming out with it every other month or six episodes uh, or six episodes. What do you call it? Six uh, editions? Is that what you Editions, call it? yeah. Editions. Six editions a year. So every other month, just go to biggerpockets.com slash magazine. We'll actually ship it to your house. And like you get six of them and it's like the cost of a book. Like it's really not that expensive at all. And if you use it. They look it, beautiful too. They look I awesome. know they do. Have you seen them? Yeah, yeah I know. Really, they look, they're really the cool kind of stuff you want to leave out on your, on your coffee table. So when people come over to your house, like, oh, what's that? And they look at it and you're like, oh, actually I invest in real estate. And that's how you get your private money. Anyway, use promo code magazine. If you guys are going to sign up anyway, might as well get 20% off by using the code magazine, which is kind of cool. And of course, you are not a pro member or premium member. Pro and premium members get full access to the BP Insights, which is kind of cool as well. So make sure you guys do that. With that said, let's move on a little bit. I want to go, maybe even move on by going back. I want to talk about declining rent for a second. Because sure. like you, you said this earlier, there's something that real estate investors are very guilty of doing. And maybe myself as well. Like, I don't think I've ever said rents don't go down. But there is definitely a feeling that rents do not go down, that rents tend to go up. Everyone said like, hey, in the last recession, rents actually improved. But you're saying that a lot of markets are showing rents going down right now, which uh, in this kind of black swan event. Do you think that's going to be a long term issue or is this just a blip because of COVID? I don't think it's going to be a long term issue. And I sort of I I came onto this because I was analyzing some data for BP Insights and it was showing me that rents were going up during this time. And I was really confused by that because it just didn't seem to make any sense to me. So I wound up breaking out all the data that we have into three different types of listings. One, I would, on a weekly basis, I would call new listings. So new listings that came online that week. Then we have active listings. Those are ones that have previously have been on the market for a while. And then we have deactivated listings. So ones that have come off the market and are presumably being rented. So what's going on is active listing numbers are actually trending upward a little bit. So things that are staying on average, things that are on the market are going up. But I believe my hypothesis is that what's going on is that cheaper units are actually coming off the market and getting signed. Mm -hmm. And so the more expensive ones are staying on the market and driving that national average upwards. If you look at the data, you can see that the price that new of new listings, so what landlords are putting their new listings on, are about three or four percent lower than what they were a couple of months ago. So that's why I think rents might decline in the very short term, just because people are probably desperate to fill vacancies right now. But I think as soon as you know, as we were talking about earlier, as soon as things start to pick back up again, I don't think. I think they'll snap right back into place because I think the same principles that have driven rent upward for a long time are still there and are going to are going to resume again quickly. You know, that's interesting that you mentioned the three to four percent, because a lot of people look at things like, well, why are prices dropping? And they're trying to find a logical question. Like, well, is unemployment dropped by three to 4%? And that's why rents have gone down that much. When I hear that number, I know what it is, is landlords know people are used to seeing $1,000 a month for a three-bedroom home. So if they list theirs at 960 or 970, it's just enough to look like a deal. The tenant to be like, oh, I should jump on it. That looks 
cheap. It's, it's not a significant number. 3 to 4% isn't really changing a whole lot with how your portfolio performs, but it could have a good impact on your vacancy. When you see those numbers affected 20, 30, 40%, now you can make a connection logically with like the shape of, of the economy. And so I think you're spot on with what you're saying that this is because it's a psychological perk. Ooh, that looks cheap. I'm more likely to move on it at a time of uncertainty. That's, that's a powerful move. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the other thing that's really been interesting in the data is to see that the number of properties that are coming off the market, that is really dramatically changing. So it, it totally depends on the market. But um, in certain markets, like in New York, we, we've seen that the average number of delisted properties, so presumably they're getting rented, has dropped 88% over the last Ooh. quarter. So it just oh. means that people are, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, some there's huge, huge numbers here. New York, oh, sorry, was New York was 85, C was 88. So we're seeing just really massive changes there. But it's not necessarily all a bad thing. It might mean that more tenants are just re-signing their leases. You know, a lot of people might not want to move right now. So we're also seeing a decrease in the new listings that are going up. So hopefully that means that landlords are reaching agreements with their tenants and are finding a mutually agreeable situation to, for them to stay in their units. Because I don't know about, about you, but the thought of like moving right now would be pretty tough. Yeah. And you know, I, I never thought about this before until right now, but like, there's a lot of, like a lot of fear about like, well, you know, if tenants aren't moving right now, it's going to be hard to fill a vacant unit and all that. I mean, that's obviously a, a concern a little bit. Now that I said, I did, I listed a property for rent on Friday and I already have two showings this afternoon out here in Hawaii. And we're on like more lockdown than most people in the world are like, they are, they've like locked us down, but it, it's still moving. But that said, like that actually is a great thing. If people stop moving for the rest of my portfolio, because there is the rest of my portfolio, they're not moving either. And so it kind of actually, it, it, it might be bad in one regard, but there's always a pro to every con here. So, you know, hopefully as long as they stay paying rent. Now the, the downside is they don't pay rent. And the government doesn't give us any options of what to do in that case. Like, you know, if they cancel all evictions long term here and just keep encouraging tenants. I, I don't, I'm not saying they're encouraging tenants, but there definitely is a vibe of you don't have to pay rent right now, tenants. If that continues long term, that's going to be a problem. And I want to know your thoughts on that, Dave, uh, on where you think that's headed. Obviously, like you don't know government policy, but I'm just curious, like, what is the government going to do in your opinion? What would be your guess? Uh, like long term what is the government going to do? And what should we as landlords owning rental properties in America do if uh, this eviction, like if we can't charge, if we can't evict people and tenants don't pay rent, like how long does this last for before every bank, every landlord is bankrupt? Yeah. My real feeling is that that won't happen. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that it's really unlikely that the government would single out basically landlords to absorb this entire economic situation because that's what we're fearful of right that you would say that there's no such thing as evictions but not all offer mortgage forgiveness or yep. forbearance or something at the same time so i think it's either going to be all or nothing either there's going to be no assistance for renters and then no, no assistance for landlords or there will be help for renters and there will be also help for homeowners i just don't see how that could happen. There are so many small landlords just, you know, uh, in really bad financial situations if that were to happen. So all they would be doing is just creating financial pain just in a different subsection of the population, which is 
hopefully not what the government's trying to do. Hopefully they're trying to um, equally absorb some of the economic hardship here. Yeah, that makes sense. David, what do you think? You know, I've, this is another thing I've thought about quite a bit. And, and you and I have talked about just like the, the very interesting intricacies of what the human mind does when it's faced with, I don't know what's going to happen. And one thing that I like, I agree with Dave, basically, like, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that a bunch of people getting a really bad flu is that that can like spread very easily. And it does people die from it. But people were dying from the normal flu, too. We just didn't talk about it all the time because it wasn't unique and novel that's not going to crash our economy. If that was going to crash our economy, it would have already been crashed from a lot of the other flus that are going around. So that isn't practical. But what I do see is people play this what if game once they get scared. But but what if it goes rampant and it goes all over the place? What if it comes back? What if it mutates and we get other forms? What if there's another shelter in place? And you turn into what happens is your mind starts to create these very unrealistic scenarios that are worst case uh, pre- propositions. And what at a certain point, you find that you've gone so far down this what-if game, and it's no started off and had nothing to do with coronavirus. Like, what if we go to a, a World War III starts? What if we find aliens and they attack us? There's all kinds of what-ifs that could happen that we never discuss because they're so unrealistic. But when it's tied to something like this, and your mind naturally wants to travel that path, it will. So are we going to keep people at home so that they can never work at all for the next nine months to where that would happen? That doesn't seem realistic at all. In any world, that doesn't make any sense. So I don't think it makes sense to start asking those questions now just because this is like all over the news and it's all that we're talking about. It, keeping it in context, it's a really bad flu that's going around. It's getting a lot of people sick, but we can absorb it. I do think there will be a scenario that is a real, not a black swan event, but a real systemic problem. We will go into a real recession at some point. And when that happens, a lot of landlords are going to lose their properties just like they lost them in 2008. So what I'm telling people is consider this a warning shot. You just got shown how quickly everything can freeze and how fast people can stop paying their rent and how quickly everything that seems stable can become unstable. It happens very fast. So don't think that just because we're in a good economy that you're safe. You should be storing money. You should be keeping a healthy amount in reserves. You should be considering the economy of the area where you're buying. If it's completely dependent on one form of employment, like Detroit, that's a very risky place to invest. And we've been saying this to people on every single episode. Every time people talk to me, I tell them that. This is just that wake-up call that, yeah, it's real, right? Just because it's always been going up doesn't mean it's going to keep going up. So that's my two cents on, on what I think is going to play out and if people are going to actually lose their properties. Um, Dave, as far as BP Insights go, someone like you loves that data. You're good at that. That's why you're in the position you're at. But as someone who's like, you know, I want, that sounds cool, but I'm not good at numbers. I'm not with math. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with this. Can you give us some advice for maybe like someone who's not as experienced, different and interpretation of data and just give us some simple ways that that data can be used for your average, you know, blue collar investor. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I will say first, I try as hard as I can to explain the math that I'm doing in all the BCP Insights stuff that we're, that we're putting out. So if you take a read at that, uh, hopefully you can follow along because the math really isn't that complicated. It's really just a mindset of trying to gather as much information as you possibly can. From there, the, the data is not too complicated to, to, uh, to analyze. Uh, but 
I will say I was thinking about this and I actually went on Facebook and talked about this a couple of days ago. Just a couple of really simple calculations that people can do and some data that people can look at, whether you're experienced or new, especially in this economic environment that might be helpful to them. Um, so I, I was saying three different ways to sort of look at a market. If it's your market or something that you're looking at, three simple metrics that will be helpful to you. And as Brandon and, and we've all talked about, no one metric is the right one. But if you look at these three different things, you'll probably have a good sense of how a market is going to perform over the next couple of years. So the first one we already talked about, which was that vacancy adjusted rent to price ratio. So basically you want to know what percentage of your investment is covered by each year or a year's worth of rent. Um, and that's obviously helpful because it estimates it's a good sort of proxy for cash flow to figure out how much rent you have compared to what you're paying for it. The second one that I've been particularly looking at recently is a income to price ratio. So mm. you hear a lot about this in the United States that, you know, people, uh, the affordability of rent is going down very considerably. And in some markets, it's, it's extremely dramatic. You know, you mentioned Detroit, I think it's, it's upward 30, 40, 50% of your income is going to rent, which is a concern. So I've been looking at different markets where they have the lowest income to rent ratio. So you want a lower number, but if you basically want to figure out what percentage of your tenants' prospective income is going to rent. And so if that's only 10% for them, that bodes really well in hard economic times. If it's 50 or 60%, that's people who probably have less in reserves. They probably have less saved up and are probably more susceptible to economic fluctuations. So those are two. And then the third one you just hit on, David, was look at historical data. What happened in different markets during the last recession? I know you guys on the podcast love to pick on, on Detroit. I personally like to pick on Las Vegas. Hmm. If you look at Las Vegas, the, you guys are familiar mm -hmm. with the Case-Shiller Index? Yes. Yeah. So for, if you're not if you're not familiar, it's basically estimates prices and shows how they trend over time. It's a big national thing. If you Google the Case Shiller Index for home prices in Las Vegas, you quite literally see a bubble. It's a trend line that just shoots up and then shoots back down all around 2008. So if you want any sense of what's going to happen to Las Vegas in the next recession, I think that tells you a lot about what's going to happen as opposed to looking at Denver, where you see basically a long, linear, steady increase. And so, you know, there's all these, as you just said, David, there's all these what ifs. Go look at what actually happened in these markets, and you'll be able to have a much better idea of what's going to happen in the future. I so, that you meant uh, Las Vegas. Because if you think about which industries are going to be affected after we come out of the corona thing, it's going to be anywhere that makes people think I'm likely to get sick. That's now like, you're not going to want to fly in planes. I think the airline industry is going to get hit because you're being trapped in a, in a circular tube with a bunch of people breathing the same air. You're not going to want to go to areas where there's a lot of people gathered at one time. Like, does Vegas exist for any other reason than people to fly in there to be around a lot of other people at one time 
and possibly engage in activities that are very highly likely to be a, an exchange of bodily fluids and uh, airborne. <laughs> like, that's a very dangerous place to be when you're in the middle of a possible pandemic. So yeah, like I would expect There's like a million people in Vegas right now going, there's a few more things here than, <laughs> than that. Yeah. It's, it's, that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong here, but you look at Vegas and places that have high proportions of people working in the service industry is, is another metric that I think you could point to. And if you're a conservative investor, you want to look for places that have a low percentage of, of population working in the service industry. Um, so I, like you said, David, like you don't have to be an expert in data analysis to, to understand these things. You basically just need to think about common sense ways that you can understand a market. This is not complicated math. You're looking at um, how things performed in the past. Look up the average uh, income in a market that you're that you're considering and compare that to the investment that you're gonna have to make. Look at how much rent uh, is going to cost your tenants and whether they would be able to weather a few bad months. None of that is difficult math. It just takes a little bit of common sense and a little bit of research. Beautiful. Well, I love that. And I love that now there's finally an option for people who like this. I get a lot of people that reach out to me and that is how they think. People like you, Dave, like they are hungry for data, just hungry, hungry hippos that are just trying to eat it up. And they're like, what metrics do you use when you pick an area? Like what numbers should I be looking for? And for there's, there's, a big uh, percent of the populace that actually makes their living doing that. Their job for their company is to look at data and interpret it and help the company make a better decision or at least um, equip the person who has to make the decisions with that data and then maybe interpret it for them. So a lot of those people are naturally drawn to real estate investing because it's so numbers based that you can use data to make better decisions. It's not it's not something, you know, I can't think of a good example right now that that is just it's not all art. There's a science to it as well. And, and this will really help with the science part. So that's awesome that Bigger Pockets is offering something like that. I never thought I'd see the day. So thank you for actually making that happen. That, that's, that's really, really big. Absolutely. Really excited about it. And just to your point, yeah, I, there, there really is no one size fits all to how you approach this kind of stuff. I just want everyone to know that you don't have to be an expert in this or to be well-trained in it. There's, a, there's like this term... And in data science called exploratory data analysis, where basically the first step in solving any problem is just use common sense and gather as much data and like look at everything you can. And I think that's like if you're concerned about your market or your investment, try and figure out what the government is doing. Try and figure out what local businesses are doing around you. None of that takes training. It just takes some hard work and research. That's awesome. That's terrific. All right. We're gonna move on now. The Bigger Pockets forums have been in fuego. This is one of the coolest times that I've ever seen. It's just everybody's all over them asking all kinds of really good questions. And then there's a lot of people giving really good answers for stuff that doesn't get to come up very often. So I'd like to move on to the next section where we're gonna have a few questions from the audience. Brandon, let's move on to the world famous fire round. It's time for the fire round. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker & Dunlop's Capital Markets, Research, and Investment Sales Groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com pockets. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You, you got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light doc and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. 
Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. All right, Dave, these are questions that come straight from the Bigger Pockets forums, which you can find at biggerpockets.com slash forums. Are you ready to do this? I think so. All right. We are going to fire them at you. The first one comes from Joseph Henderson from one of the markets I invest in, Jacksonville, Florida. Joseph says that we are, assuming that we are headed into a down market, which class of apartment building do you think will thrive during these times? A class, B class, C class, et cetera. Good question. I, my instinct says that it would probably be a class. And I do have some data to support um, that I will publish in bigger BP Insights in the next couple of days. Um, but we are seeing that the biggest downturn in rents is coming in the middle market, actually. Ultimately, $1,500 to $2,500 in rents have seen the, the sharpest declines over the last couple of months. Hmm, fascinating. All right. Well, number two then. Matt. Malarkey says, I'm a new investor. I'm looking to potentially house hack my first deal. With all this COVID stuff going on, is now a good time to start buying for me? Or would it be better for me to wait a few months to see if prices go down? I think trying to time the market with pretty much everything is is somewhat foolish. I think that, as I say, in stock investing, volatility breeds opportunity. And I think that you should be prepared and understand what a good deal is, sort of like we were talking about earlier, knowing what the average is, knowing what a good rent-to-price ratio is, because I do think there's going to be great deals over the next two or three months. So I think it's still a great time to invest. That guy's last right. name was Malarkey. Isn't there a saying that's a bunch of malarkey? That's a bunch of malarkey. Yeah. I wonder where that comes from. There's a funny story. I went to the police academy with a guy whose last name was Mud. His name was Benjamin Mud. And he told me like that. Have you ever heard that saying? Your name is mud. Like it's a terrible. Yeah. Thing. That actually comes from the fact that one of his great 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 grandfathers actually was a doctor that helped treat John Wilkes Booth after he shot Abraham Lincoln. But he didn't know that the guy had just shot Abraham Lincoln. So he he did the thing. He off. He broke his leg or whatever. He ran away. And then this guy ends up helping him, nursing him back to health and sending him on his way. And then when they find out about it, he was like a horrible person for doing that. And that's where your name is mud comes from. Completely unrelated to anything uh, real estate, but <laughs> I think somebody good history lesson. Yes. Uh, and Malarkey, <laughs> that's funny. All right. The next question. Is now a bad time to start a wholesaling business? I'm in a major metro area with a resilient housing market. But I'm wondering if I'll be able to find enough cash buyers, even if I find great deals. I'll preface this by saying I'm not an expert on wholesaling, but I don't think that it's necessarily a bad time at all. I think that there are probably a lot of well-prepared uh, real estate investors who are going to see this as a buying opportunity. And as long as you can find those investors who have been waiting for an opportunity like this, it could be a great time to start. Brandon, what are your thoughts? Because you're in a market that's being hit pretty severely, but making things happen. Yeah, I'll say I'll say kind of what I said on a video on Bigger Pockets a few days ago. I published uh, it was like called like what a new investor should do. Basically, I said this is now a bad time to to start a wholesaling business or a flipping business or just in general to find deals. It's hard, 
like you can't really leave your house in a lot of cases. And there's a lot of other like reasons why this is a difficult time. But I think that's the best reason to get started wholesaling or flipping or buying rentals right now. Cause it's like, it's challenging. And when you learn anything, when you're challenged, it's like uh, when you're playing baseball, if you step up to the plate and you're swinging like four or five bats at one time, then you go and drop the four or five bats and you just have one. That one feels really light. And I'm sure, David, you come up with a better analogy than that. But like the idea is like when you when you work hard at something then you're like you're at the gym, right? You're you're benching like, you know, if you're like me, you're benching like 99 and it's like super heavy and then you drop it and you bench the bar. The bar <laughs> feels really light. Right. That's the only way I can bench the bar. And, and so like that idea is what works really well right here in real estate is you, you do it when it's hard. I don't, most of the world, I would say like, I don't even know, 95% of Americans or the world, not even Americans, just the world. When they see things that are hard, they say, okay, I'm not going to do it. Therefore it's like difficult means don't do it. But I think like winners or whatever you want to call it, successful people, they say, oh, it's hard. Okay. Well, great. That means more opportunity there. And so yeah, I would just encourage you. Yeah. Barrier to entry. And yeah. really good business people look for a barrier to entry because competition will be. Wet. That's actually, that's exactly why I went into mobile home parks. Cause yeah. I'm like, this is like mobile home parks are the hardest uh, real estate investment I've ever seen and I've ever done. Like just to, to analyze and understand and wrap your head around because of all the moving parts. So I was like, Hey, that's hard. Most people won't be competing with me then. So if you're Thank competing God, with me right now, stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. why it's super hard to make money doing stuff like selling CDs out of the trunk of your car. Or yeah, what because it's easy. that everyone was doing, they were like trying to be an eBay seller where they would buy yeah, drop shipping and Amazon yeah, businesses. Yeah. Like yeah, all this stuff works in the beginning when it's hard. Yep. And then everyone does yeah. it. No, it's easy. Very, very good point there. I like it. All right, Brandon, why don't you take the last question? Number four, Scott Hasselback from North Bend, Washington. I love North Bend, Washington. Like everyone right now, I'm spending a lot of time at home thinking about the short, mid, and long-term impacts of our new normal as a result of COVID-19. For example, Will we see a movement? I love this question. Are we going to see a movement from our large urban centers like New York City or Chicago to cities that are more like Nashville or Austin or Boise? Like, is that a trend that you see coming because of this? David, what do you think? I've read a lot about this and I sort of anticipated this question coming up and tried to use our data to figure out what I could. And there's actually something really fascinating. The pricing for housing across the country has gone down a bit. But for homes, for houses, single family homes, they've stayed almost entirely flat over the last couple of months, while apartments have dropped, I think, like six or 8%. I need to look up the exact number. But most of the declines in rents have come from actually from apartments. So that's not a perfect parallel for the question. But I do think it seems to indicate that people are more interested in finding a place with more space, or maybe that's a little bit less densely populated. I do think there's that potential, but honestly, I think it's overblown. I think we've heard for years and years that the San Francisco market, the New York market, they're all going to, they're too hot and people can't live there. But I, I just think that's where a lot of jobs are. That's where the, you know, the highest paying jobs are and people are going to continue to move there and they're going to continue to want to live in those places. But I'm sort of just speculating. Yeah, what do you think, David? I think much like Thanos says, this will bring balance to the universe that we have. <laughs> because what we've seen is this flight out of suburbs 
and into inner city. It's been very unbalanced just as far as everything's gone up because the economy's gone good, but it's gone up a lot faster in urban areas and in, in suburban areas. People aren't having kids as early, so they don't need as much space. People don't want to drive cars anymore, right? Like the younger generation, they want to live without one. They want to be within walking distance of stuff. They want to be around other people. And the jobs are in those cities. And so when you take all those factors out, you've seen the inner cities, the urban areas have just exploded. That's where all the buildings, if you've driven through Denver, Austin, San Francisco, Seattle, Houston, Texas, there are so many skyscrapers or um, cranes building stuff. It's ridiculous how much of that is going on because there's such a huge demand to be there. I think that this has shifted that a little bit because one, there's certain people that aren't going to be want to be that close to someone. I think part of the reason you see Detroit and New York getting hit so hard by coronavirus is that they have all these people that live in apartment buildings and they're sharing air. The, the HVAC systems are all connected, right? So there's going to be an adjustment where construction standards start to change and they try to isolate units from each other so they're not all sharing the same air. Well, that stuff that's already built in those inner cities, it's too late. That's the way that that's going to be set up. So more people are going to want to be in a suburb because it'll, it'll feel safer. And you're seeing now that a lot of people are working from home and companies are still profitable. I think a lot of companies are recognizing, I don't need this person in here all the time, especially if I alter their pay structure. So they get paid per project as opposed to just per, per hour. So that won't happen right away. You're not going to see this immediate shift. But I do think that over time, you're going to see the balance will start to come back to where there's a healthy amount of people that want to be in a suburb, that want space from other people, that want their own property. And if they're working from home, they don't have to be in the area where the jobs are. But again, like we said earlier, it is completely unique to the area that you're in. Some jobs can be transferred to work from home. Other jobs cannot be transferred to work from home. So I wouldn't expect to see the same phenomena sweep the country equally. That makes sense. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for your David. That makes sense. Green, David. That makes sense. Green. All right. Well, with that, we're gonna start to wrap things up by going to our last segment of the show. It is time for our famous four. All right. Before we get to the famous four, though, let's hear from our good buddy Jay Scott about who's gonna be on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast on Tuesday. Hey there, Brandon and Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast listeners. This is Jay Scott, your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. This week on the Business Podcast, we have our first repeat guest. His name is Mike Michalowicz. He was our guest on episode 30, which was one of our most popular episodes ever. He is a business author who just released his sixth book called Fix This Next, and it's absolutely amazing. He talks all about how you can use this book to help Fix the biggest problems in your business. So check it us out on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast this week. Now, back to your famous four. All right. Big thanks to uh, Kevin, our producer, for arranging to have Jay Scott and everyone else come on the show and tell us about their other episodes. Make sure you guys are listening to those shows. They're the cat's meow. Is that still a phrase? Can we say that? Um, as, long, as long as, as long as everyone think that yeah, brought it back, came up with it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> shut, <laughs> shut your mouth. Number one, <laughs> Dave, do you have a favorite current favorite real estate related book? I'm going to say David's long distance <gasps> investing book. Mm, I'm on. finally on the board. I've been waiting <laughs> a year. I know. <laughs> Well, I I now live in Europe, so I need to do some long distance investing. I'll t- even if that was a pity drop, I'll take it. Any kind of drop. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. How about your favorite business book? I like the book uh, Start With Why. It's a Simon Sinek book. It's just about, you know, finding purpose in what you're doing and that if you sort of align your personal purpose with what you're working on, you're more likely to find good results. Cool. It's beautiful. Um, I'm going to throw in a wild card here. Do you have a favorite quote? I don't. I really don't. I'm not surprised. Maybe it's the cat's meow now. (laughs) I just said it. Brandon should write a book and every chapter should start with a ridiculous thing like the bee's knees, the the cat's meow. David, did you know that back in 2016, Brandon gave a presentation at Bigger Pockets to employees and he put up a slide that had a quote on it and then slid in (laughs) under it. It attributed the quote to himself. And so he... Give a presentation. I may have quoting himself. Yeah, you know, I was listening to very memorable. I was listening to Robert Green on the way here to record (laughs) this today, and he we had Robert Green on this episode. Very very smart man, and Robert Green said that people do not change their behaviors. You have to trust that if they get it in the past, <laughs> they will continue to do it. And so you shouldn't be fooled. So this is very insightful coming from the VP Insight guy that way back in 2016, <laughs> the data showed that Brandon had been biting quotes and claiming them as his own. And I wasn't still, that was, it was my no, quote. That was it accurately was attributed. It was attributed to it was my quote. Oh, this was when you did the Tyrion from Game of Thrones thing where you said a quote like a white man <laughs> once said. And then you said no, the exactly. So I yes, think that's what happened. It's me. I believe the quote was, "You don't." What was the quote? It was. It was the thing I always say. It's fifty uh, percent of a great deal is better than one hundred percent of no deal. Well, who else am I going to attribute that to? I wanted to talk well, about it. So I wrote needs, my name. Like we don't attribute everything we say to another person. <laughs> that was David Green that said that. By the way, <laughs> you could have just said it. Oh, that's really funny. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> All right. Enough, enough picking on me. Let's, uh, let's get on with this. Uh, and helping me pick on Brandon. Do you have any other hobbies? Uh, I am, well, I usually say that I'm like a stereotypical Colorado guy, but now I live in Amsterdam, but I, I like to hike and to ski. And I, I really like to cook. I, I do a lot of barbecuing. You can't really say you're a stereotypical Amsterdam guy. That probably wouldn't have voted. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't really know what that means yet. I've been in this apartment the entire time I've lived here, so I, I don't really know what that means. That's hilarious that you went to the most wild place in the world and you've been cooped up in an apartment the entire time and unable to do anything there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's like a the, all the wildness is kind of concentrated in a very small area and the rest of the city is really nice but i would like to be able to experience it so hopefully soon all right well with that let me get to the end of the show dave meyer what do you think sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up fail or never get started i think it's i mean i know this is going to be a stereotypical response but i think it's just perseverance you know there are a lot of things that are going to get in your way of getting your first deal or your second deal. It's just sticking with something and making sure that it's a priority in your life. The current economic environment is probably a great example. Like you might've been ready to pull the trigger on a deal and this is causing a lot of uncertainty, but that shouldn't derail your commitment to a goal that you have. You should continue to pursue the things that you think are going to make a difference in your life, whether there's a challenge like this or not. That's a good answer. That was deep. 
All right, Dave, I have thoroughly enjoyed our time with you. As Yeah, always. this is great. For All right, people, well, I'll talk to you guys soon. Hang on a second now. For people that want to continue this dialogue with you or want to learn a little bit more about you, where can they find out more? Probably on Bigger Pockets. I'm really lame and don't really do social media. So hit me up on Bigger Pockets. And of course, they can read all your BP insights by going to the biggerpockets.com slash insights. Uh, insights. Slash insights. Yeah. B- biggerpockets.com slash insights. Oh, and I will, uh, I have an article in the magazine that's coming out. So check that out too. Very cool. All right. Well, Dave Meyer, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you here, even when you tell embarrassing stories about me. Sorry, I had to get that one out. <laughs> I loved it. Man, you made your points. That's awesome. All right, guys. All right, bye, guys. Thanks. This is David Green for Brandon, a wise man once said, Turner, signing off. <laughs> You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.